Hello again and welcome to another episode of the Ominous Origins Podcast with me, Casey. Of course, this episode is still brought to you by the wonderful people over at MorbidlyBeautiful.com. Morbidly Beautiful is your one-stop shop for all things horror content related, from interviews, reviews, top ten lists, and everything in between. There's also a really great library podcast, which I highly suggest you check out after this episode here. I just want to get one thing out of the way before I start this episode. You might notice that the last dozen or so all sound a little bit different. You may or may not pick it up. I've been going through mics like a fat kid going through chocolate. I just can't find the right one. I don't know why, but it seems like microphones are like Harry Potter wands. They kind of choose you. So I'm on a different one this week as I was on the one last week. And the one last week is different than the one from the week before. So, yeah. I'll eventually come across one I really like. But until then, you get a nice variety of tones and warmth and stuff. So I just want to get that out of the way in case you're curious as to, like, why this sounds different every week. That's why. Anyway, we're going to get back to a true crime episode this week after taking a little week off to talk about the Nixie, the water horse thing. So this is a case that took place in 1982, and it involves a 13-year-old girl from Milwaukee. Her name was Carrie Ann Jopik, and she tragically died one evening after attending a party. So what just happened to Carrie Ann on that fateful day in 1982? Well, we'll just have to find out, won't we? Ominous. Ominous. It is an adjective. Sounds like someone breathing. Ominous. Now, while I was born in the 80s, I don't remember it at all. It was 87. It was a great year, apparently. I don't know. I really have no idea. It must have been a great year because I was born, so there's that. But... Regardless, I don't remember what it was like to grow up in the 80s as I grew up more in the 90s. So being a 13-year-old in 1982, well, I mean, I've seen Stranger Things, so it seems like a free, fun, outgoing, extraordinary time to be alive. Malls were huge, and people just loved interacting and socializing and partying. And that's what happened with Carrie Ann Jopek. As I said, she was a 13-year-old from Milwaukee in Wisconsin, the United States and she was killed one day after attending a party, and the mystery went unsolved for more than 30 years. Yes, 30 years it took police to find the killer, and that's because the killer kind of just came out of the blue and was like, yeah, I did it. But we'll get to that point in just a minute. Now, the reason police were stuck was that there was very little evidence and not a whole lot of suspects to go on. So what just happened to Carrie Ann on that day in 1982? Well, the day in question was March 16th, and Carrie Ann Jopik was, well, suspended from middle school. Why? Well, according to police documents, she was wandering the halls without a pass, which we all know is no-no. Even though in my high school or middle school never had hall passes, if you had to go pee, you just went, hey, miss, can I go take a leak? I'm like, yeah, yeah, go on. That, I don't know. Canada's, I guess, a little bit different than the States. Anyway, reports said she was sent home around 1.30, but she never made it back to her mom or stepfather's house. Now, her mother was pretty certain that she gotten kicked out on purpose so she could go to a party at a nearby house. I mean, I guess that kind of makes sense in my mind, but hey, maybe that's the type of child Carrie Ann was, kind of a free spirit, as you will. Now, the house party in question was of Robin Mant, and that was her best friend. She was seen at the party, 
and her mother reported her missing, believing she had run away after attending the party and knew she was going to get in trouble from her mom. So, I mean, what does any 13-year-old do in the face of being yelled at by mom and dad? You run away, especially in the 1980s, where circuses were aplenty and you could just join one. I don't know if that's true or not. I'd like to believe it is. Now, reports have it at this party, she was, well, maybe getting into the wrong crowd. She was originally offered to go down into the basement to have a drink with somebody at the party. The person in question said, hey, Carrie, let's go downstairs. I want to show you something. Let's have a drink and smoke a little J. Now, once they'd started getting downstairs, Carrie Ann had second thoughts. Remember, she was 13 at this point, okay? So she didn't really know what the fuck she was doing. So she goes, hey, bro, can we not go down? I don't want to go down there anymore. I don't think this is a good idea. To which the fellow replied very chivalrously, you're going downstairs. The man in question then pushed Carrie Ann down the stairs. Well, she fell and she died at that party. She didn't run away. She wasn't an outcast. She wasn't kidnapped. She went to a party at a friend's house with people she trusted. And then in a moment of pure sexual rage, I'm assuming, she was pushed down the stairs and died. So how was it possible that for 17 months, they never found Carrie Ann's body? Yes, you heard me right. A year and a half, roughly, went by without anybody noticing her body. And that's because the person who killed her buried her beneath the porch of the very house the party was held at. I have no idea how you bury a body in the middle of a party and nobody notices, but lo and behold, that's exactly what happened to Carrie Ann. And it wasn't until the Mant family decided to renovate their backyard and get a new deck in there. A carpenter came in and began digging a section below where the current deck was, and that's when a skeleton popped up out of the ground. It's important to note here, I think, that the carpenter claimed that Robin's older brother, John Mant, was present at the uncovering of the body and was visibly ill and upset. Take that as you will, maybe he knew something about this body. Maybe he was the one who put it there. Maybe he was the perpetrator in all this. No, that's not the case. That's just a little red herring for you. However, there was a man that was seen hanging around after the body was discovered. He was, quote, crying and raising his hands up at the shallow grave in the ground. And when police questioned this man, he claimed to know nothing about Carrie Ann's death. And remember, this is probably mid-1983 now, September 1983. So, who was this man? And did he have a connection to the case? Well, the man's name was Jose Ferreira. He was questioned by police, and they seemed satisfied that he was not the culprit. There was nothing really linking him to the crime, and although he was a suspect, he was never really charged. And in fact, it wasn't until the very moment that the body was discovered that police treated this as a missing person rather than a murder or homicide. Obviously, once they found the body, that changed. However, there was little to no evidence available on the body, probably because it was sitting in a shallow grave under a deck for 17 months. Now, it does appear that during his original interrogation, Ferreira was off-putting. He was always considered a suspect, and a favorite suspect, but there was nothing the police could charge him with. They had no evidence of anything he was doing, or that he was involved in any way, so he was let go. 
What was some of the strange behavior that Ferreira was exhibiting? Well, let's get this out of the way right off the bat. If this isn't strange and suspicious, I don't know what is. Now, prior to Carrie Ann's death, it wasn't really clear whether Jose Ferreira knew the family at all. But after her death, it was reported that he came around often and would sit with Carrie Ann's family to try to comfort them. He even told them once that he knew something about her death but couldn't reveal it or he'd be killed, implying some sort of conspiracy or involvement with another person. But it wasn't until about 30 years later, in 2015, that Jose Ferreira finally decided to confess to the murder of Carrie Ann Jopic. Now on that day, 33 years later, on October 11th, Jose Ferreira picked up his phone and called his wife. He told her the story of his encounter with Carrie Andropic at the party, as well as how he had killed her. Naturally, she promptly went right to the West Milwaukee Police Station and told the sergeant on duty what she had heard. But Ferrer wasn't done there. He confessed two other times to two different people on the very same day. After he told his wife what he had done, he picked up the phone a second time and called a crisis hotline counselor who reported to the police that a man named Jose had called her and told her the story of how he had killed Carrie Ann, as well as what he had done to her after death, which we'll get to in a minute. According to the counselor, Ferreira couldn't decide at the time if he wanted to go out in a blaze of glory or in silence, which is what the police never want to hear. Lastly, the third confession was to the Milwaukee news station WISN 12, where Ferreira told a reporter the same information he revealed to the crisis counselor. After all that, the most detailed and thorough confession was the one he gave to police two days later after being taken into custody. So what did he do after he killed Carrie Ann? Well, he didn't know or he claims that he didn't know that she had died once she fell down the stairs. He thought she was merely unconscious. So what does any warm-blooded male do when he sees an unconscious body at a party? Of course he tries to fuck it. Yes, this sick motherfucker tried to have sex with Carrie Ann's dead body at the party. Now it's unclear if he actually went through with it or if he just tried and nothing happened. I don't really know, but either way, it's all really fucked up. So why after 33 years did Ferreira confess? Well, according to Assistant District Attorney Carl Hayes, he described Ferreira as a pathetic individual and stated that Mr. Ferreira had hit a wall, sort of a rock bottom. He'd been suffering from mental illness and his confessions may have been brought on by heavy drinking. Also, it's important to note at the time, Ferreira's wife was in the process of filing for divorce. His own attorney, Caitlin Fire, believed Ferreira was trying to use the publicity of his confession to get her attention and convince her to stay with him. Yes, he confessed to her because he thought that would make her stay with him. Now, I'm not sure what kind of logic that is, but I really don't want to get inside this guy's head to find out. He's not the worst person I've ever covered on this, but there's something about him that's just inherently creepy. He has a mullet, for one. So, yeah, there's that. So what happened after all this was said and done? Well, he could have faced 20 years in prison, but he was only sentenced to seven years behind bars. Although authorities originally charged him with second-degree murder, there was little physical evidence to link Carrie Ann to Ferreira and how the killing took place. Because he wanted to have the legal proceedings over with quickly, Ferreira accepted a plea bargain with reduced charges. 
he pleaded guilty to attempted second-degree sexual assault and false imprisonment, and so the judge gave him a maximum sentence of seven years. But that wasn't the whole kit and caboodle of the trial. Ferreira's lawyers tried to pin the murder on a different party guest. Yes, I guess that's a sign of a good lawyer. I don't know. This sounds kind of... Meh, sounds a little skeezy to me, but hey, what do I know? I'm not a lawyer. Once it was determined Jose Ferreira was going to be charged with second-degree murder, his lawyers began looking to implicate other guests who had been present at the party. They landed on John Mant, the one we talked about earlier, one of the party's hosts. His younger sister Robin, who had been Carrie Ann's best friend, was also at this party. The young man Robin was dating at the time of Carrie Ann's death came forward and claimed Robin told him her brother was responsible. However, Robin refuted this and suggested her ex-boyfriend may have been trying to use a false piece of information to get out of prison for an unrelated crime. So ultimately it was all thrown away, it was a fake attempt, it was really bad, and I think that's in poor taste. Trying to pin a murder on somebody, that's like my worst nightmare. My worst nightmare is the cop showing up in my house being like, we're charging you with the murder of this person. And I'll be like, what? I didn't do that. Are you fuck? No. Being framed has got to be one of the worst things in the world. I just couldn't imagine going through something like that. So shame on these lawyers for trying to put somebody in jail who didn't do anything. Although I did mention at the top that John Mant may have been involved because of his visceral reaction to seeing the skeleton, almost like he knew who it was and why it was there. So there's also that to consider in this whole thing. But even then, Ferreira confessed he did it. We all know that. One thing I do think it is important to note as well here is that Ferreira did apologize at his trial. Now this happens sometimes, but not always. That once somebody confesses, they feel overwhelming remorse and guilt, and so what do they do? They apologize. Now Carrie and Jopek's parents were of course present at the trial and held a photo of their daughter throughout the proceedings. Her mother, Carolyn, believes her daughter's spirit was haunting Ferreira for over 30 years. Quote, he said he was haunted. He told me, your daughter's haunting me, and I believe she was. Guilt over what he had done was one of the driving factors in his confession, and Ferreira was ready for the truth to finally come out. In court, he apologized directly to Carrie Ann's family, saying, quote, I can't take back how it happened. I'm sorry from the deepest pain in my heart. Sorry. It sounds pretty sincere, but he was also suffering from mental illness. I'm not sure which, but to me, that doesn't really make a difference in his remorse. He sounds remorseful, and that could play a factor in the sentencing as well. Now, despite this short sentence, Carrie Ann's parents are indeed grateful for Ferreira's conviction. Many observers were surprised at the sentence Jose Ferreira received. Carrie Ann Jopek's parents, however, were happy that their daughter's killer had finally been identified and sent to prison and for the closure it provided. Carrie Ann's parents, although still grieving the loss of their daughter, had tried to keep a realistic outlook regarding the legal proceedings. It had been over three decades after all, and they knew that with little physical evidence there wasn't a lot of justice the system could do. On Ferreira taking a plea deal, Carrie Ann's stepfather said, quote, it's better than taking a gamble and suffering a complete loss. In other words, they could have went to trial and this could have been found completely irrelevant and Ferreira could have been sent free. He could have been found innocent of all charges. So seven years is better than zero. So in the end, it's really difficult to put a pin on just how drastic 
a case this is. How much Ferreira is actually remorseful is up in the air. He sounds like he is pretty sorry for what he did. He was probably only a kid at the time too. I'm not sure how old he was at the time of the murder. But if she was 13, it's safe to say he couldn't have been much older than 17 or 18. In the same generation anyway. You're a dumb kid at that point. Obviously what he did was wrong. And he should have confessed at the time as opposed to trying to hide his crimes. But it's also very scary for a kid out there when you've done something wrong. As we talked about before, what do you do when your mom is mad at you? You run and hide. This is like the ultimate run and hide because you did something terrible. You did the worst thing imaginable. So you're going to obviously try to hide it, especially when you're that young. Now I'm not trying to justify his actions. I'm just trying to get inside of his headspace for just a moment to give you reason as to why he did what he did and didn't confess until 30 years later. Now with that said, school parties are a fucking disaster at the best of times. In high school and college, I never really went to any, maybe one or two here and there. And they were pretty normal, what you'd expect from a high school party. But I had heard of shit that went down in my college, and I don't know if I really want to repeat it, but it involved rape, and it involved cover-up from the school itself because some high-profile athletes were involved. Maybe I'll get into that on another podcast, but for right now, I'm going to leave you with this Jose Ferreira and his 70-year sentence. Let me know what you think. Was it enough? Was it too much? Was it too little? I want to know what your thoughts are on his sentencing after you have all the information available to you. So that's going to do it for me this week. My name is Casey, and thank you for listening to the Ominous Origins Podcast. If you really want to let me know how you feel about the podcast, you can do so on Spotify now and leave a five-star rating. No reviews yet, but you can still leave a five-star rating on there. And I believe you can only do it right now from the mobile app, but it'll expand eventually. So if you're listening to this five years from now, Hopefully it's still up there. You can leave that five-star rating. There's 13 people who have done it as of today, so that's awesome. Thank you very much to those 13 people. Or you can still go the traditional route and leave a review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. Any five-star reviews will be read out on the show. That goes for the Spotify thing, too. If you let me know in some way, shape, or form, either email or social media, I'll give you a shout-out on the episode as well. You can find me on social media, speaking of reaching out, on Twitter, at Horror Shots Prod, as in production, on Instagram at Ominous Origins Pod, or on Facebook at Horror Shots. My voice is getting kind of raw. I've been recording shit all day, so I'm going to leave you with that. Until next time, peace. <laughs>